Chapter Five, Part Three of the Curious War of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Curious War of Precious Stones by George Friedrich Kuntz. Chapter Five on Ominous and Luminous Stones. Part Three. Two fabulous stones are noted by Pseudo-Aristotle, and one of these, the Sleeping Stone, must have possessed marvelous soporific power. It was a luminous stone of a bright ruddy hue, and shone in the darkness with a bright light. If a small quantity of this stone were hung about a person's neck, he would sleep uninterruptedly for three days and nights and when he awakened on the fourth day, he would still be almost overcome by sleep. The other stone, of a greenish hue, had the opposite quality, and induced prolonged wakefulness. So long it was worn, sleep was banished. Our author gravely states that some men who must watch at night suffer greatly from lack of sleep. If, however, they wore the waking stone, they suffered no inconvenience from their enforced vigils. Evidently, this stone would be a precious possession for night watchmen, and a more satisfactory guarantee for their employers than time clocks or other tests of wakefulness. In his commentary on Marbodus, Alardus of Amsterdam relates the history of a wonderful luminous stone, a chrysolampus, which, with many other precious stones, was set in a marvellous golden tablet dedicated to St. Aldebert, apostle of the Frisians and patron of the town of Egmund, died between 720 and 730, by Hildegard, wife of Theodoric, Count of Holland. The gift was made to the Abbey of Egmund, where the saint's body reposed. Alardus tells us that the chrysolampus shone so brightly that when the monks were called to the chapel in the night-time, they could read the hours without any other light. This wonderful stone was stolen by one of the monks, whom Alardus terms the most rapacious creature who ever went on two legs. But fearing to keep so valuable a gem with him, he cast it into the sea and it was never recovered. Strange tales were told of a luminous carbuncle on the shrine of St. Elizabeth, died 1231, at Marburg. This stone was set above the statuette of the Virgin, and it was said to emit fiery rays at night. However, Kreutzer informs us that it was only a very brilliant rock crystal of a yellowish-white hue. The shrine was an elaborate work of art, in silver gilt, and was literally covered with precious stones to the number of eight hundred and twenty-four, besides two large pearls and a great many smaller ones. All these gems were stripped from their settings when the shrine was taken from Marburg to Cassel in 1810. At the Dusseldorf Exhibition of 1891, the writer saw what was called the Ring of St. Elizabeth, purting to be set with her miraculously luminous ruby. The stone in the setting proved, however, to be a large, almost flat carbuncle garnet of no great brilliancy. 
set in a narrow rim of gold. After noting the reports of medieval travelers regarding the wonderful luminous rubies of the sovereigns of Pegu, and repeating the tale that the night was illumined by their splendor, Cleandro Arnobio adds that it did not appear that any such rubies were to be found in his day. Nevertheless, he had heard from an ecclesiastic of a certain jewel that shone brightly at night. This stone, however, was not a ruby, but was of a pale citron hue, and hence Arnobio inclines to believe that it was either a topaz or a yellow diamond. This probably refers to the Marburg carbuncle. The luminous ruby of the king of Ceylon is noted by Chao Zhukua, a Chinese writer of about the middle of the 13th century, and hence a contemporary of the Arab Taifashi. He says, The king holds in his hand a jewel five inches in diameter, which cannot be burned by fire, and which shines in the night like a torch. This gigantic luminous gem was also believed to possess the virtues of an elixir of youth, for we are told that the king rubbed his face with it daily, and by this means would retain his youthful looks even should he live more than ninety years. The glories of Emperor Manuel's throne, circa 1120 to 1180, are celebrated by the Hebrew traveler Benjamin of Tudela, who visited Constantinople in 1161 A.D. This splendid throne was of gold, studded with precious stones, and suspended from the canopy by gold chains hung a magnificent golden crown set with jewels of incalculable value, and so bright and sparkling that their glitter rendered needless any other illumination at night. When Henry II of France, 1519-1559, made his solemn entry into the city of Bologna, a stranger from India presented to the sovereign a luminous stone. It was rather soft, had a fiery brilliance, and could not be touched with impunity. According to de Tau, this story was vouched for by J. Pippin, who saw the stone himself, and described it in a letter to Antoine Misold, a writer on occult themes, well known in his day. Although Garcius ab Orta did not believe in the tales current in his time regarding luminous rubies, he relates a story of such a stone told to him by a gem-dealer, this man stated that he had purchased a number of fine but small rubies from Ceylon and had spread them out over a table. When he gathered them up again, one of the stones remained hidden in the fold of the tablecloth. In the night he remarked something like a flame emanating from the table. Lighting a candle, he approached the table and found there the small ruby. When this was removed and the candle extinguished, the light was no longer visible. Garcias admits that the gem-dealers were fond of telling good stories. But he concludes with the dictum, we must trust in them nevertheless. Not only the ruby, but the emerald also, had the reputation of being a luminous stone. For besides the shining emerald pillar in the temple of Melkart at Tyree, Pliny records the tale of a marble lion 
with eyes of gleaming emeralds which was set over the tomb of a petty king called hermias the tomb was on the coast and the flashing light from the emerald eyes frightened away the tuny fish to the great loss of the fishermen whether the eyes of the magnificent chryselephantine statue of athena by phidias were supposed to be luminous we do not know but they were encrusted with precious stones the collection of works by the english alchemists published by elias ashmole contains the tale of a worthy parson who lived in a little town near london and who wished to immortalize himself by building across the thames a bridge which would always be lighted at night after relating several expedients which suggested themselves to him the poet continues at the last he thought to make the light for the bridge to shine by night with carbuncle stones to make men wonder with double reflection above and under then new thought troubled his mind carbuncle stones how he might find and where to find wise men and true which would for his interest pursue in seeking all the world about plenty of carbuncles to find out for this he took so mickle thought that his fat flesh wasted nigh to naught it is scarcely necessary to add that the poor parson never realized his dream but the story shows how popular was the belief that carbuncles or rubies shone with their own light a luminous or phosphorescent stone which has been named the bologna stone is the subject of a treatise published by the physician menzel in 1675 the writer describes various experiments made to test the peculiar qualities of this mineral which is partly a radiated or crystalline sulphate of barytes and phosphoresces when calcined it was sometimes called the lunar stone lapis lunaris because like the moon it gave out in the darkness the light it received from the sun menzel also relates that the stone was first discovered in sixteen o four by vincenzio cassiaroli an adept in alchemy who believed that it would be a great aid in the transmutation of the baser metals into gold on account of its solar quality the place of its occurrence was monte paterno near bologna where it appeared in the fissures of the mountain after torrential rains the various phenomena of fluorescence and phosphorescence undoubtedly explain some at least of the legends regarding luminous stones superstition or fantasy having here as in most other cases a certain substratum of fact this class of physical phenomena has been made the subject of a special investigation by the author as many as thirteen thousand specimens of various minerals having been subjected to the most searching tests in order to determine their qualities in this respect his interest in this field of research was greatly stimulated by a fortuitous happening in eighteen ninety one his wife while hanging up a gown in a closet one evening saw that the diamond in a ring she was wearing gave off a faint streak of light which was very noticeable in the dark and this fact led to a long series of experiments on the fluorescence and phosphorescence and triboluminescence of the diamond more than two centuries before 
robert boyle made a similar set of experiments at night with a diamond which must have been an indian stone and which he describes as table cut about one-third of an inch long and somewhat less in width he remarks that it was a dull stone of very bad water having a blemish with a whitish cloud covering nearly a third of the stone the journal de chavant for seventeen thirty nine gives certain tests of the luminous quality of diamonds made by monsieur du fay in order successfully to observe this phenomenon he prescribes that the experimenter shall remain in a darkened room for fifteen minutes taking the additional precaution of closing one or both of his eyes the diamond to be tested should be exposed to the sun's rays or to strong daylight for less than a minute and when taken into darkness the luminosity if observable lasts twelve or thirteen minutes at longest not all diamonds show this quality and nothing in their form or appearance serves to determine their possession of it however monsieur du fay observed that the yellow diamonds of which he tried a considerable number were luminous a single emerald out of twenty that were tested proved to be luminous boyle's experiments led to the discovery that some diamonds when rubbed against wood or other hard substances and even against cloth or silk will emit a ray of light which seems to follow them this is what is called triboluminescence the power of absorbing sunlight or artificial light and then giving it off in the dark is only possessed by certain diamonds these are brazilian stones slightly milky in tint or blue-white as they are often termed and it is an included substance and not the diamond itself that possesses the power of storing up light and then giving it out willemite quinsite sphalerite which is sulphide of zinc and some other minerals possess the same power their peculiar property may be due to the presence of a slight quantity of manganese or to that of some of the uranium salts that it is only the ultraviolet rays that are thus absorbed by these diamonds is proved by the fact that the phenomenon is not observable when a thin plate of glass is interposed between the sunlight or artificial light and the diamond as glass is not traversed by these rays the still undetermined substance to whose presence in diamonds of this type the special class of phenomena must be due was named by the author tiffanyite in honor of the late charles l tiffany eighteen twelve to nineteen o two founder of the firm of tiffany and company on the other hand all diamonds phosphoresce when exposed to the rays of radium polonium or actinium even when glass is interposed treating of some of the aspects of phosphorescence in diamonds sir william crookes says in a vacuum exposed to a high-tension current of electricity diamonds phosphoresce of different colors most south african diamonds shining with a bluish light diamonds from other localities emit bright blue apricot pale blue red 
yellowish-green, orange, and pale-green light. The most phosphorescent diamonds are those which are fluorescent in the sun. One beautiful green diamond in my collection, when phosphorescing in a good vacuum, gives almost as much light as a candle, and you can easily read by its rays. But the time has hardly come when diamonds can be used as domestic illuminants. By permission of Mrs. Kuntz, wife of the well-known New York mineralogist, I will show you perhaps the most remarkable of all phosphorescing diamonds. This prodigy diamond will phosphoresce in the dark for some minutes after being exposed to a small pocket electric light and if rubbed on a piece of cloth a long streak of phosphorescence appears the luminescence produced by heat is wonderfully marked in the case of chlorophane a variety of fluorite a siberian specimen of a pale violet color emitted a white light merely from the heat of the hand boiling water caused it to give out a green light which was so greatly intensified when the specimen rested on a live coal that the radiance could be discerned from a considerable distance. Similar phenomena were observable in the case of chlorophane from Amelia Courthouse, Virginia, and the writer found that specimens from this source also exhibited strong triboluminescence, resulting either from contact with one another or with any other hard substance. As the terms fluorescence and phosphorescence are sometimes rather carelessly employed, it may be well to note here that while both terms are used to denote the luminescence of a non-luminous body, resulting from the action of light rays, of the electric current, or of the radiant energy of any kind as well as from heat, fluorescence signifies a luminosity which only continues so long as the exciting cause is present, while phosphorescence means a luminosity persisting for a longer or shorter period after the exciting cause has ceased to operate directly. The latter term, therefore, denotes a luminous energy stored up in the formerly non-luminous body and emitted by it for a certain time, at the expiration of which it again becomes non-luminous. Other special designations of induced luminosity in minerals are triboluminescence, the emission of light as a result of friction, and thermoluminescence, a term used to denote light emission excited by moderate heating, even by the warmth of the hand. An old treatise in Greek, said in its title to come from the sanctuary of the temple, and containing material partly of Egyptian origin, may help us to understand something of the process employed by a temple priest to impress the common people by the sight of luminous gems. The writer of the treatise declares that for the production of the carbuncle that shines in the night, Use was made of certain parts, he says the bile, of marine animals, whose entrails, scales, and bones exhibited the phenomenon of phosphorescence. If properly treated, precious stones, preferably carbuncles, would glow so brightly at night 
that any one owning such a stone could read or write by its light as well as he could by daylight. In the Annales de Chimie et Physique, the great French chemist, M. Berthelot, discusses this matter and expresses the following opinion. The texts leave no room for doubt as to the employment by the ancients of precious stones rendered phosphorescent in the dark by the superficial application of tinctures composed of materials whose phosphorescent quality is known to us. Although this luminescence, due to an application of organic oxidizable materials, could not well be durable. Still, it might be made to last several hours, perhaps several days, and it could always be renewed by repeating the application. The use of jeweled ornaments to heighten by their luminosity in obscurity or in darkness the effect produced by a sacred image, and to stimulate religious awe in the beholder, is testified to by the ultra-Protestant traveller Fines Morrison Gent, who went to Italy in 1594. Of his visit to the Santa Casa in Loreto, he says that he himself and two Dutchmen, his companions, were permitted to enter the inner chapel of the sanctuary, where, he proceeds, we did see the Virgin's picture adorned with precious jewels, and the place, to increase religious horror, being dark, yet the jewels shined by the light of wax candles. Although there is no question here of naturally luminous gems, this might have been the impression produced upon a more sympathetic pilgrim. Writing of the traditions in regard to luminous stones, Sir Richard F. Burton says, There may be a basis of fact to this fancy, the abnormal effect of precious stones upon mesmeric sensitives, However, while some instances are recorded of psychic impression produced by precious stones on the minds of persons possessing a highly sensitive nervous system, it seems likely that some legends of luminous stones had their origin in the refractive powers of cut gems, by means of which a dim and distant light would be reflected from the surface of the stones and would seem to spring from them. Quite possibly in other instances there was a disposition to cater to the popular belief by placing a light so that the hidden beams traversed the stone and appeared to emanate from it. End of chapter 5 End of section 15